2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to, an, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. I'm not spending time on verses 12 through 13 since we've previously studied how Paul made his travel plans and that if there were changes in his plans, he wasn't being fickle, he was being led by the Spirit. So this morning I want to focus on verses 14 through 17. Now whenever we read scripture, we must study what is in the text. What does the text say? What is God saying? directly and most clearly. But we also have a responsibility to study what is behind the text. What was the context in which the text was written in the way that it was written? Why was it written that way? Why did the communicator of that scripture, why did that word of God come to us with that particular context? It is only then that we can better understand and rightly apply that text in our own context. So when Paul refers to Christ's triumphal procession in verse 14, he is using a metaphor that the Corinthians and the others in the first century would have been very familiar with. And that is the Roman victory procession after a military conquest. So following a victory, the conquering general would parade the captives and his troops through Rome to loud acclaim. The people would all be there and they would be cheering and shouting. And in the procession where the captive leaders, allies, and soldiers, typically all in chains. So all the captives that they had taken, they would all be in chains and marching through and so on. And then would come Rome's senators and magistrates and all the leaders of the, of the city. And then the general in his four-horse chariot was, you know, the, having the four horses itself was to, an indication of power and authority and so on. Sometimes they would even have elephants and so on. But here, they, there was the general, you know, coming and he would be dressed in a certain way and so on. But a, along with all of this, there was music, you know, accompanying them. And there would be clouds of incense 
burnt offerings to the gods. Incense would be burning and there would be these clouds of incense as they are parading through like this. And they would have flowers, garlands of flowers and flowers and they would strewn, they would be strewing these flowers on the, on the way and into the crowd. And so all of this is going on during this parade. And so these incense, the incense and these flowers would have created a very distinct aroma as the procession passed by. And that would have been there for a while. Even after the people were gone, you would smell this, right? And that's the second part of the metaphor that Paul uses to describe Christians. He says that Christ, the victor, uses us in his triumphal procession to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him, of God, of Christ Jesus, he uses us to spread the aroma of Christ everywhere. Everywhere we go, we're supposed to be spreading the aroma of Christ. Christ, who has triumphed over the devil, sin, death, and the grave, uses us to inform others of his victory. Jesus is not parading through the world every day. Jesus is not telling people about how he came and how he was victorious over sin and death and grave and has, you know, hell and, and the devil. He, he's not doing that. He is asking us. He is empowering us. He uses us to spread that news of the victory. But what you notice is that we just, we don't, we're not being called to do very much. We just have to be aromatic. And the distinct aroma of victory is sufficient to convey the message. But here's the interesting characteristic of being aromatic. We are the aroma of death to some and the aroma of life to others. As the weather gets warmer, it's very likely that one of these days, one of your neighbors or you will fire up the grill and barbecue some meat. As the smoke and aroma from the barbecue wafts through the neighborhood, Roger from two houses down will yell, Smells great. When you look up, though, you'll happen to see another neighbor, Bob, who's also reacting to the aroma. But Bob doesn't think it, it smells great at all. He shakes his head and wrinkles his nose. To Roger, the aroma of meat cooking on the grill made him glad to be alive. To Bob, the same aroma makes him think of death. Same smell, same aroma. And every time you have a barbecue now, remember, you've got to be aromatic Christians. But here's the thing that I want to ask you. What's the difference? Why, why this difference between this experience? And if you think about you know, how these metaphors, these analogies, and so on, you say, well, okay, yeah, that's all there. Think about biblical examples. In John chapter 11, John goes 
or pardon me, Jesus goes to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus who had died. He goes to Bethany. And he goes there with the explicit purpose of raising Lazarus from the dead. And he orders the people to, you know, to open the tomb and to bring out, or to, or, pardon me, to open the tomb, right, where Lazarus had been buried. And Martha says to him, Lord, there will be a stench. There will be a smell because he's been dead for four days. You know, sure enough, when they opened that tomb, there would have been a stench. But the same stench was a message of life to Jesus and a message of death to Martha. She smelled the same smell and said, oh, he's been dead four days. What hope is there? Jesus smelled the same smell and said, oh, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm, gonna just, I'm just about to raise him to life. In John chapter 12, we read the story of Mary who comes to Jesus while he's at this meal. And she is an outcast. She is one who is looked down on, but she comes to Jesus. And the Bible says that she breaks this container of expensive perfume and anoints his feet with it. What does Judas Iscariot say when he sees this? He says, what a waste. What a waste. This money could have been used to feed the poor. He wasn't concerned about the poor at all. But he makes this statement. And Jesus responds, leave her alone. She has done this to honor me for my burial, for my death. Same smell of this wonderful perfume wafting through the house. In fact, the Bible says the whole house was filled with the smell. She did this in one place right there. The whole house is filled with the smell. The same smell is causing all sorts of different reactions in people. And in Jesus, it is both the smell of life and of death. He knows his death is coming, but he knows life is coming right after. And so the same smell. Well, Paul didn't have before him the results of modern neuroscientific research when he referred to us as being the aroma of Christ. He didn't, he didn't know anything about all that, right? He had the revelation of God. But here's what a 2020 report from a prominent neuroscientist at Harvard stated. Smells are handled by the olfactory bulb, the structure in the front of the brain that sends information to the other areas of the body's central command for further processing. Odors take a direct route to the limbic system, including the amygdala and the hippocampus, the regions in the brain related to emotion and memory. Smells have a direct connection to emotion and memory. You know why people react differently? To the stench or to the fragrance or to the aroma? Because when the Bible uses the language of the senses, when it says, taste and see that the Lord is good, open your eyes that you may see wondrous things in the law, 
Hearken, hearken your ears to the voice of the Spirit. And most directly in the context of this passage, then it says, be a pleasing aroma. The Bible is telling us that when we share Jesus with someone, you've got to remember that their emotions, their emotions and their memories are the filter through which they are processing this aroma. To one, it is the smell of life. The aroma of life to another, it's the aroma of death. And you may be surprised as to how somebody reacts to you. Why does this person receive it and that person does not? I said the same thing. I was trying to share the same message, the gospel message about Jesus. Why does one person react like this and the other person react the other way? Because their memories their emotions, their past experiences, whether good or bad, their past learnings, what they have been told, what they have heard, what they have processed before, whether it is right or wrong, all of that is affecting how they perceive the present. And so if they think that you're saying something wrong or if they react angrily to you or if they don't receive the word that you're speaking, however well-intentioned you were, don't think it's something against you. It's, remember, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on in them. All you have to be, all you have to do, all you're responsible for is just to bring the same smell. It's just to be aromatic. You're not asked to control the other person's perceptions. You're not called to change them. You are called to just share the gospel regardless. In fact, in verse 17 here, Paul says, unlike so many, we must not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we must speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. The Puritans had this Satan's our statement about sincerity, they said sincerity is the affection of the heart that is expressed without the affectation of the self. It is the affection of your heart. It is the joy, it is the compassion, it is the love, it is the forgiveness in your heart that is expressed to this person, not the affectation of yourself. Affectations are how you would present yourself, how you would say, listen to me. You know, I can persuade you. Let me tell you about Jesus and the way that I tell you about him, you will believe. Those are all just the affectations of ourselves. But when we will speak with the affection of the heart, sincerely share the gospel message and allow people to simply receive that word, God does the rest. God does the rest. But you know, there's one important point about the biblical metaphor of Christ's triumphal procession. You know, we read this, these verses, and you may have noticed this twist already. This little truth that's hidden in there, that's not so hidden, it's, it's stated pretty obviously, because you see in verse 14, it says that we are the captives in the triumphal procession. Think about that. Christ is the victor. 
And we are joined with Christ and we say, oh, praise God that he conquered uh, hell and death and devil and grave. Oh, what a victory. Praise the Lord. And then you would think of yourself, if you're being led in triumphal procession in Christ, you may see yourself as one of those senators or magistrates or leaders, or you may see yourself as one of those soldiers in the army of the Lord. And you may see yourself maybe even as the general. I'm right there with him. I'm in the victory with Christ. But that's not the picture that is presented. The verse says, we are the captives that are being led in the triumphal procession. You know what happened to the captives? The captives were either put to death or sold as slaves. They weren't going into glory. They weren't going in to do something for themselves. They weren't saying, look at me. They were being led in the procession. And all that smell of incense and the flowers was the smell of death to them. They were going to be led in to either be killed or to serve as a slave. So what's the meaning for us? You see... The ironic part of this whole experience that we have in Christ Jesus and the gospel message is that Jesus doesn't call us to say, come be a Christian and you'll be a better you. Come be a Christian and you will have great glory. Come be a Christian and I will lift you up. Come be a Christian and everybody will take note of you. The Bible says, come be a Christian and die. Die to self. Take the cross and crucify your sinful nature. Take, be a Christian and come and serve as a slave. Be willing to serve in that way. Be a Christian and let me be your Lord. These are tough things. These are not, it's not the appealing message. It's not the, you know, the message that you want to tell people, especially somebody who's never heard about Jesus, right? You don't want to say to them, come and believe in Jesus and then you can be a servant. Is it, right? We don't want to say that. We want to say, come and believe in Jesus and you will have happiness. You will have great healing and deliverance and you will be set free and, you know, all your problems will go away and Jesus will be your all in all. And all of that is true. Jesus will be your all in all. Jesus will take your cares. Jesus will heal and deliver. Jesus will set you free. Jesus will show you the path of life. Jesus will be your truth. Jesus will be your hope. Jesus will be the joy that is your strength. Absolutely. But he calls you to die. He says, give up all your passions and desires. All these worldly ambitions, all the things that you thought were so important in life. Give them up. Because I will take you, and I will refine you, and I will make you purer than gold, and I will use you for noble purpose, and I will give you life eternal, and I will cause you to be a blessing to others, and I will fill you and burn you in such a way, consume you in such a way, that you will be an aroma. You will be an aroma to others around you. Oh, that's a very different message. But that's the message of the cross. That's the message that we are called to make our own. 
that we would be captives in the triumphal procession of Christ. And I want to move to this point of application because I want to spend some time here and to just let you understand this even more fully. Because you, you see, when all of this is said, what we're really being called to do is to respond and apply to this, and respond and apply this word by being the pleasing aroma of Christ to God. That's what the verse tells us, right? It says, you are the pleasing aroma of Christ to God. You're not even focused primarily on how you would be perceived by other people. I'd mentioned a few minutes ago that people are going to react all sorts of different ways. You, don't, you can't control it, you can't change them, you can't do anything, you just be aromatic. But actually, you're not even concerned whether people react or not. You're being a pleasing aroma of Christ to God. You see, anyone who knew the Old Testament scriptures, the reference, that statement, the pleasing aroma of Christ, would have reminded them of the scent of the burnt offerings ordained by God for the children of Israel. Because all through the Old Testament, in Genesis, in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Second Chronicles, in other scriptures, in the Psalms, you see these references to where God is reminding them and telling the children of Israel that they are to be an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And they are, in the time of the wilderness, in the time of their sojourn in the wilderness, as they were led out from captivity in Egypt, and now they are learning how to be subject to the Lord, no longer subject to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but how to be subject to the Lord. The Lord was radically transforming their mindset. The mindset that the children of Israel had when they were in Egypt had to be changed, had to be transformed. Because if they had retained, as they retained the mindset of Egypt, they looked at the promised land, they looked at Canaan and said, we are like grasshoppers in the eyes of the inhabitants. We will be taken captive. We will not be able to capture the land. God said, I need you to walk in the wilderness for 40 years so that I will change your mindset. And during that period, I want you to understand that I will redeem all the pagan practices of sacrifices and burnt offerings that were meant to appease the gods but could never satisfy the gods or you. And God reconstitutes animal sacrifices. Animal sacrifices were there for a long time. Right, right from the beginning of creation, we start to see this. God instituting animal sacrifices. But animal sacrifices had been used by all of these groups of people to honor these gods. And God reconstitutes this animal sacrifice and he shows how sacrifice is to atone for sin as a substitutionary offering. He says, this is the reason that I'm telling you to do this. No longer to appease the gods, but to say there is a payment for sin. There is a consequence of sin. And by offering this sacrifice, by the shedding of blood, substitution is being made on your behalf, and you can be set free. And all of those sacrifices 
was pointing to the perfect sacrifice of Christ Jesus on the cross, where once and for all, he would take the sins of all people. That's what God was doing in the wilderness. That's what God was preparing them for. But he was telling them, today, as you are in the wilderness and you are offering up these animal sacrifices so that it will come up to me as a pleasing aroma, I'm transforming you so that you yourself will be the living sacrifice that comes up to me as a pleasing aroma. Paul is saying we are called to be the aroma of Christ to God. Nobody else. We are called to be the aroma of Christ to God. The Bible tells us that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We say, Lord God, you take and use me the way that you want. You have your way in me. And when the Lord does that, when he receives that sacrifice, he consumes us entirely. A burnt offering was one in which nothing would be left. Nothing of what was there originally is left. And a new can come into being. We're called to new life every single Sunday when I remind us of this, this same truth. We've got to remember that we are called to new life in Christ Jesus. We're called to say, Lord God, because of what you have done, because you are the victor, because you lead me in you in victory, you also take me captive to know your will, to sacrifice my life, to give you all that is in me so that you may now live through me. And when the Lord is living in and through you, when you continue to burn, when you continue to emanate that beautiful aroma to the Lord, when you will be so pleasant before Him, that distinct smell of life, He will send you to places. He will take you in procession. He will lead you into all the circumstances where that aroma will fill the house, will fill the city, will fill your families, will fill all your circumstances. And people will say, oh, I can't avoid this smell. I may react to it and say, oh, I don't want it. I may react to it as if it is an aroma of death, but I cannot avoid it. You will be aromatic. You know, the Bible doesn't call us to do a lot. It just tells us to be a lot. You know how we be a lot? We trust in God. We rely on Him. We depend on Him. Even as we were talking about love and forgiveness, and people shared, you know, I'm glad that you shared some practical steps. I'm glad that we can take some steps of action. It's wonderful. Do that. Do, do it. But don't think that just because you take action, something suddenly happens. You've got to rely on the Lord. You have to be dependent on Him. You have to say, I am found in Christ Jesus. I am hidden in Christ. And as I'm hidden in Christ, as He transforms me, as I obey Him, as I am used by Him, I will be aromatic. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, Lord, you give us your wonderful word and you call us, Lord, to do things, to be things, Lord, to trust you and depend on you in a way that transcends our thinking and our expectations. We think, Lord, that we are triumphant because we are the victors. And Lord, yes, we are victors in Christ Jesus. But I thank you, Lord, that we are triumphant because we are captives. No longer captives to sin, but captives to the Lord. Willingly and cheerfully eager to do what you command us to do. And as, Lord, we obey you, I thank you, Lord, that you cause us to touch the lives of others. Lord, to be an aroma, a sweet savor. Lord, the incense that burns, the prayers that are lifted up, the way in which, Lord, we touch the lives of people around us. Lord, it is not up to us and it is not our concern how they react to that smell, how they react to the aroma of Christ to God. But Lord, we thank you that you will use us to be the aroma of Christ to others. We pray, Lord, that we will be an aromatic church, that people who come in here would smell, would smell the aroma of Christ. Cause that to happen, Lord. Cause it to happen to wherever we go so that your smell, your aroma, your truth, your life will be apparent. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.